October 14, 2003, was the last time anyone would see 23-year-old Felipe Santos. He was last seen at the Green Tree Shopping Center at the intersection of Airport Pulling and Amokali Roads in North Naples, Florida. Then, three months later, on January 12, 2004, the same fate arrived for 27-year-old Terrence Williams, who was last seen in the area of 111th Avenue North and Vanderbilt Drive in North Naples. The common denominator between these two missing individuals? Now fired Collier County Sheriff Deputy Steve Calkins. Let's break down the details. Secrets of the Trees presents The Disappearances of Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams. Felipe Santos was an undocumented Mexican national who had been living in the United States for about three years at the time of his disappearance. He was working to send money back to his family in Mexico. On the day of his disappearance, Felipe was driving to work with two of his brothers when, at 6.30 a.m., his white 1988 Ford hit another car near the Green Tree Shopping Center. No one was hurt in the accident, and there was minor damage to the cars. Collier County Sheriff's Deputy Steve Henry Calkins arrived at the scene and cited Felipe for reckless driving and driving without a license or insurance. Calkins placed him in his patrol car and drove away. Later that day, Felipe's boss contacted the county jail to post his bail, but was informed that Felipe was never booked. When questioned, Calkins stated that Felipe was polite and cooperative, and therefore decided not to arrest him and instead dropped him off at a local Circle K, about a mile away from the scene of the accident, and drove off. Calkins said that the last time he saw Felipe, Felipe was walking towards the payphones. The other driver in the accident, however, provided a conflicting statement, stating that Calkins was visibly agitated and annoyed about Felipe's lack of paperwork, remarking that he was tired of pulling people over that didn't have licenses. After his disappearance, one of Felipe's brothers filed a complaint against Calkins, but the sheriff's office quickly cleared him of any wrongdoing. Felipe's family also filed a missing persons report. No evidence of foul play was uncovered in Felipe's case, and investigators believe that he may have been laying low to avoid being arrested and deported. His wife, Apolonia Cruz-Cortez, however maintained that she had not been in contact with Felipe. Apolonia also stated that she was not interviewed by investigators and therefore questioned the quality of the investigation. Then, a few months later, another man disappeared in a similar fashion. Around midnight on January 11, 2004, Terrence Williams attended a party in Bonita Springs with some of his co-workers. Terrence left at about 6 a.m. and was reportedly pulled over by Calkins on the side of the road a couple of hours later at about 12.15 p.m., near Naples Memorial Cemetery, located at 111th Avenue North and Vanderbilt Drive. According to the Charlie Project, which is a cold case aggregator website, Calkins claimed Terrence's Cadillac was having engine problems. The car appeared to be stalling out. Terrence did not have a valid license or insurance, his registration had expired, and the vehicle belonged to someone else. Despite allegedly having several reasons for citing Terrence, Calkins said he decided against the citations and instead dropped Terrence off at a Circle K convenience store in the vicinity of Wiggins Pass Road and US-41. Calkins also stated that Terrence told him that he worked at the store. In a press interview, a Circle K employee stated that she saw both Terrence and Calkins that morning. She said Calkins used the store's bathroom while Terrence filled a gas container and left the store alone. This contradicts a press release by the Sheriff's Department, where they stated no one at the Circle K store had contact with Calkins, and contradicts surveillance footage that did not back up the employee's line of events. In a later interview, Calkins stated that he left Terrence at the store, returned to the car to have it towed, then called the Circle K store only to find out Terrence did not really work there. According to call records, however, this call never took place. The Charlie Project mentioned that Calkins was a 17-year veteran of the police department and had a clean record prior to this incident. 
Despite having this clean record, it would be interesting to know if previous arrests or stops done by Calkins were further analyzed. Calkins maintains his innocence in both cases and stated that due to these disappearances, he was being treated as a scapegoat by the police department. He took three polygraph tests on Felipe and Terence's cases, and one of the tests showed deception. However, with that said, if you've listened to some of the other cases I've covered, you've heard me mention that polygraphs are inadmissible in court and are generally considered unreliable. In spite of this, I listened to the audio files made public by Collier County's Sheriff's Office, including the polygraph. Here is a short clip of the polygraph. Well, so when we're talking about that particular event, that's the only thing that we are talking about is your contact with Terrence on that particular day, that, and again, like that being that Monday, January 12th. To the best of your recollection, tell me how you come into contact with Terrence on that day. I was headed for the substation. Okay. I was southbound on Vanderbilt Drive North, and I just came up on his car. Okay. Which appeared to me to be in the process of breaking down. Okay. <laughs> what was it doing? It looked to me like it was stalling out. I don't know if he was running out of gas or if it was just running poorly or what, but uh, we were coming to an intersection, and uh, I just kind of motioned for him to pull over somewhere. Here's a snippet of when Calkins called dispatch. It's a bit hard to make it out here, but you can hear Calkins telling dispatch that he has eyes on a homie Cadillac. If you type in homie Cadillac into Google, you get some images of older model Cadillacs sporting rims. He goes on to say that it's a big old piece of junk Cadillac, and later on in the dispatch call, Calkins goes on to say that maybe the owner is in the cemetery, and when he, the owner, returns, the car will be gone. Deputy Calkins makes it seem as if he's never spoken to Terrence. Calkins describes the car as abandoned and blocking the road. This contradicted both his incident report and the witness statements, both of which reported that Calkins himself moved the vehicle to its location, blocking the road. At about 1.12 p.m., after having the car towed, Calkins requested a background check on Terrence, which contradicts his earlier statement that he never knew Terrence's last name or any other personal details. When questioned on his racially insensitive and inappropriate comments, he told investigators he was just joking around with a friend. This call completely contradicts the statements he made during his polygraph, which stated he saw Terrence's car sputtering out and motioned for him to pull over. In addition to audiophiles, there are plenty of reports made public by the department. In there, you can read firsthand the transcripts of Calkins' misstatements, pauses, and the just plain terrible reasonings for the things he supposedly did that day. For example, the name spelling transcript. When questioned why, if he received no documentation from Terrence, found no documentation in the car, and stated he had not established contact with Terrence after allegedly dropping him off at the Circle K, how did Calkins obtain the correct first name spelling and date of birth for him? He was apparently silent for a period of time before finally stating he did not have an answer to that question. This was especially alarming as Terrence is spelled T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E instead of the usual T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E. After being given time to think, he became angry and said that maybe Terrence gave it to him. Maybe he found something in the car. Or maybe he had it written on his arm or finger. Right. Because everyone has their complete name and date of birth randomly written on their arm or finger. 
When questioned why Calkin's incident report was dated eight days after the interaction with Terrence, he became defensive and stated the only reason he wrote the report was because he was ordered to. When the investigator pressed on about why certain details weren't completed in the report, such as last name and birthday, Calkins got pissy and said because he was lazy, and at least he got the hair right. And the inconsistencies continue past that. So let's talk about theories. There is a popular theory that Calkins drove these two individuals out to the Everglades and dumped them there as part of a starlight tour. A starlight tour is a term used to describe the police practice when police officers pick up individuals in urban settings, drive them out to remote areas, and then drop them off to find their way back on foot. This term originated in the Canadian province of Saskatchewan, where it came to light the police officers were dropping off First Nations out of town limits in the freezing weather. Two bodies were found frozen to the ground, presumably from this barbaric practice. Evidence exists that these drop-offs have been happening since at least the 1970s. The Everglades National Park is a 1.5 million acre wetlands preserve on the southern tip of Florida. It's made up of coastal mangroves, marshes, and pine flatwoods that are home to a variety of dangers, including panthers, crocodiles, alligators, snakes, such as the diamond rattleback snake, coral snakes, cottonmouths, and dusky pygmy rattlesnakes, venomous spiders, such as black and red widow spiders, mosquitoes, who in the summer can eat you alive and can carry diseases such as Zika and West Nile virus, and then non-animal threats, such as dehydration, heat exhaustion, poison ivy, poison wood, and sawgrass, which has extremely sharp points along its leaves, making it dangerous for people to walk near or grab onto. From my own experience as a South Florida native, I had the chance to visit the Everglades several times and saw the dangers of it firsthand, albeit from a distance. While driving down the long stretch of US-41, you will see gators on the side of the road. Some sunbathing, some as roadkill. I once spiked Shark Valley within the Everglades and witnessed a large snake leap up from the side of the road. On boat rides, I saw gators often, and some comfortably approached the boat without hesitation. It's possible some of these gators or crocs were fed by humans, and therefore unfortunately associated humans with food. I also had the unfortunate experience of having my car battery die while exploring the Everglades. I had to do some research for an entomology class I was taking at the time. I realized it was getting late and decided to make my way back before being alone in the middle of nowhere. Unfortunately, my car wouldn't start, and in that particular area I was in, I had little reception. I had to walk for a while in the setting evening light to be able to send out a text so that my friend could come and give me a jump, as my calls weren't going through. I waited in my car while my friend arrived, and it was just so eerily dark. While we were trying to get my car to start, you could see all the insects aggressively flying in the path of the car's headlights. If Felipe and Terence were dropped off into the Everglades unprepared, it is very possible they succumb to one or more of these dangers and their bodies may never be found. Any one of the animals could have scavenged their bodies, even if they weren't attacked by an animal. With a size of 1.5 million acres, it would be a long while to comb through the preserve in the search for them. It's also possible they didn't even get a chance to try and wander back as they could have been maimed or worse upon getting out of the car. There's a caveat to the Starlight Tour in the Everglades theory though. Calkins was on duty both times the men disappeared. So just how far could he have driven them to where they would have been isolated enough not to reach anyone in days? Not very far when you consider the cemetery workers remember seeing him return to Terrence's car roughly an hour after the initial stop with Terrence. Naples is located about an hour and 40 minutes from the Everglades and 42 minutes to Everglades City, which leads to another entrance for the National Park. Picayune Strand State Forest, however, is 20 minutes away from Naples and does have panthers, black bears, and alligators. So it's possible if the starlight tour theory did occur, the location may have been Picayune instead of the Everglades. I mentioned the theory of Felipe laying low to avoid deportation. There is a similar theory for Terrence where people have posited he is laying low to avoid arrest. 
Terrence has a criminal record for driving under the influence, trespassing, and did a stint in prison for aggravated robbery. Sometime shortly after he vanished, a warrant for his arrest was issued for failure to pay child support. Could it be possible he was behind or refusing to pay child support and knew this was coming? Terrence's mother, however, states that he would never let so much time pass without contacting her, and he left many of his belongings behind. If the reason for his disappearance was that he was laying low to avoid arrest, isn't it possible he would have been flushed out by now? So, is it just an extreme case of coincidence that both of these men disappeared after contact with Officer Coggins? Both just happened to need reasons for disappearing? We know for certain Deputy Coggins made scumbag comments over Terrence Williams' vehicle. Is that enough to lead us to believe he did something to both men? I would say not necessarily the comments, but the clear contradictions in his statements and opportunity. Let's objectively analyze Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams. Felipe, a Latino, undocumented male, and Terrence, a black male with a criminal history. Most of the theories I read suggest variations of the Starlight Tour route. This theory I'm about to present, however, is the most chilling one, in my opinion. What if there was a place in range where he held them captive and then returned later to complete what he started or dispose of the bodies? We know in Terrison's case, he ran the background check moments after having the car towed, supposedly after dropping Terrence off at the Circle K. On a Reddit thread from three years ago, one commentator stated, I would guess he, Calkins, was ascertaining whether this was the kind of victim who might not be missed. For example, undocumented, criminal history, etc. I would think that means he did not cause harm until after the background check, when he was seemingly reassured that this was not someone whose disappearance would be a big deal. That would be pretty significant evidence of premeditation. And that comment is chilling to the core. So, aftermath of all this... According to an article by the Naples News, Marsha Williams, the mother of Terrence, sued Calkins in a 2018 wrongful death action on behalf of her son's estate and four children. Unfortunately, the suit came to a sudden stop after her attorneys missed a deadline to file for trial. Lawyers blamed the missed deadline in the 2018 suit on miscommunication and a prolonged office shutdown due to the worldwide pandemic. However, Circuit Judge Lauren Brody found the team failed to establish excusable neglect and issued a final judgment in 2021 that Marsha Williams and her son's children shall take nothing from Calkins. Shall take nothing. What an odd choice of words. Marsha appealed the decision, however, the appellate court only affirmed Judge Brody's decision. After Terrence disappeared, Calkins was asked to appear before a federal grand jury, but he refused to testify and moved to Iowa. In December 2020, as part of the civil suit, Calkins was forced into questioning by Marsha's attorneys. Ben Crump, the attorney representing the Williams family, stated that the lawsuit has allowed the team to collect vital and previously undiscovered information and that they are confident that the information uncovered will allow the Department of Justice to keep the investigation of what happened to Terrence active and moving forward to earn justice for his memory and all those who love him. Q, which is a national missing persons nonprofit organization, has conducted searches for Felipe and Terrence and advocated for their cases over the years they have been missing. In addition to raising awareness by Q, actor Tyler Perry is offering a reward of up to 200000 in connection with the cases in hopes to bring peace to their families. Anyone who may have information on either Terrence or Felipe can contact the Collier County Sheriff's Office at 239-252-9300, Crime Stoppers at 1-800-780-TIPS, TIPS is 8477, or call the Q Center 24-hour tip line at 910-232-1687.